What's going on, y'all? Welcome to another Friday night of interactive sports talk. I am one half of the dynamic duo, your co-host, Stephen Box, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend. They call me Kuma Kane. And together we are the Play Callers. So cool, man. What's going on with you today, man? How you feeling? Feeling good, man. Feeling good, man. A whole lot of stuff going on in the world of sports. So many places to start. Bro, so many. <laughs> we, we got the NBA Finals done wrapped up. The NFL. You got folks talking about retiring. People quitting their jobs. You got all kind of craziness going on, man. You got, I mean, I know we don't talk a whole lot of outside of football and basketball, but you know, you got the Olympics that just started up today, too. So, yeah, yep. a whole lot of news going on. Oh, yeah, man. But of course, we got to start with the, uh, the NBA finals, right? We got to go ahead and wrap Most. that conversation up. Most definitely. So, so, let, so let me go ahead and, and just start this conversation off by saying you were right. <clears throat> The uh the Milwaukee Bucks came through. I didn't think anybody in this series could win three straight games. I definitely didn't think anybody's gonna win four straight. So kudos to the Bucks for going out there and getting it done and finding a way to bring home the championship. Congratulations to them at uh Phoenix. Y'all doing man, y'all scrubs. <laughs> So, so many things to say on that. So I'm just going to simply start off by saying this. <clears throat> if you watched this playoffs, and not just the Bucks, but this playoffs in general, you saw a lot of times where you had a team that was down 0-2, come back, make it a series, or win. So, mm-hmm. so many people that haven't really been watching sports up until the finals, and I think that's a lot of the people, or I think another subgroup was all these people that thought that uh, Chris Paul was a point god when we found out that he's um, – Essentially, the series more like a point fraud. But you have to understand that a series is not over until the entire series has been played, right? You don't call a series after two games. You don't call a series, you know, after a game. You don't call a series 2-1. You wait until the series plays itself out. And so many people already wrote Milwaukee off, not even looking back and saying they've came down from 0-2 before against the Nets. And yeah, you could say the Nets, you know, they didn't have, um, 100% James Harden and Kyrie Irving was hurt. But truthfully speaking, how many more points would they have been able to score with all those guys? That just means there wouldn't have been as much of a burden on Kevin Durant to be a scorer. You know, think about the whole entirety of a series. There's always some sort of momentum shift. Very rarely do you see what happened to my Denver Nuggets, which is they get swept. It does happen from time to time, but that doesn't happen a lot. So, if you have the, if you're good enough to win a game, you're good enough to get that momentum shifted. Once that momentum gets shifted, this is what you can have. And if the other team, and we said this earlier in the um, conversations about the playoffs, they hadn't beaten anyone really. Like, and I'm not disrespecting how they got there. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm just simply saying that. On top of that, let's simply think about this was the first time they were down in the series. This was the first time they were tied in the series besides like 0-0. So now you're getting them in a situation that they're not used to. They have a lot of young guys. And as I've said all playoffs, there's no one that has an answer for Giannis. So these are reasons why Milwaukee was able to come back and win this series. They also got some good games out of 
um, you know, Chris Middleton, um, Brooke Lopez, PJ Tucker still playing the defense that he plays. Um, a lot of people want to chastise or talk about PJ Tucker because he may not be the offensive threat that some other people are. But the game is more than just offense. You still have to play defense. You still have to rebound. You still have to make the play. Those are the things that he does. That's what he brings to the team. That's what they've been missing. So getting him and Drew Holiday were big for Milwaukee. I'm happy that Milwaukee won. I wish Denver, you know, would have been able to get there and have an opportunity, but they were not able to. So guess what? The team that I chose won. I'm happy about it. But truthfully, at the end of the day, it's not my team. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We, we talked about it on here, man. Everybody, when Phoenix went up 2-0, was acting like the series was over. Yep. And as you pointed out, if you look back through the entirety of the playoffs, there were multiple times where teams went down 0-2 mm-hmm. and came back and actually won the series or almost won the series. So it's not like being down 0-2 is some kind of death wish. I even said myself, you know, I had picked Phoenix to win, but I had fully expected for it to be 2-2 after four games because it's not like Milwaukee was just this scrub team that you were going to go out and put away. What surprised right. me is the fact that you pointed out it's very rare that teams get swept. But essentially, Phoenix got swept. I mean, yeah, they went up 2-0, so they won two games in the series, but then you lost four straight games. That's basically a, a sweep. So the fact is, there should never be a situation in which you lose four straight games, especially yeah, in the NBA Finals. Yeah, they've been calling it a reverse sweep, right? They've been kind of yeah. calling it a reverse sweep. Um, <clears throat> the other thing about it, man, is, you know, a lot of people like to just hop on, you know, different bandwagons. You think about this. Phoenix was a team that kind of came from nowhere, right? I mean, they were good last year. They were great in the bubble, but they kind of came from nowhere as in they weren't on the radar really last year. They performed well in the bubble, but they weren't really on the radar, you know, because they didn't even make the playoffs. So sometimes you need experience. You know, DeAndre Ayton had a lot of games where he just didn't show up, you know, And you cannot win when your one true post presence doesn't really show up. And you've got a guy on the other team like Giannis. You know, they they had enough. You know, Milwaukee was also without Dante DiVincenzo. You know, he's a big part of what they do. He's one of their better three-point shooters. He's a hustle guy on the floor. You know, he's a starter on the team. He actually would have been starting versus P.J. Tucker. So that tells you how much they value what Dante DiVincenzo brings to the team. But he was out. He got injured in the first round and couldn't, you know, and couldn't continue. He was out for the playoffs. So they were missing a piece and they were still able to do what they did. Now, you got to give the devil to do on the Phoenix side. They were without uh, Dario Saric, who was their backup center and one of the better backup centers in the league. So they were forced to go to the small ball and Giannis dominated in the small ball. But guess what? You still had DeAndre Aiden out there. You still had Frank Kaminsky. So you had bodies to throw at him. They just weren't able to handle him. You know, you had a lot of guys step up from from Milwaukee after those first two games. What we really saw was, and we talked about this after the first two games, you saw a lot of the role players from Phoenix essentially disappear after the first two games. Yeah, and never came you know, back. They, they never came back. They got home, they still couldn't come back. And that's a big part of why, you know, Phoenix lost. But a lot of their benches, young guys, that haven't been in this situation before. This is their first time here. You look at Milwaukee, you got a lot of guys that have been to the playoffs, been almost to the Eastern Conference Finals and lost, you know, so they have playoff uh, season. A lot of times it makes a difference. And I have to give you props for one thing that you say a lot. You don't say it much on this show, but when we're talking, you say it a lot. And what that is, is 
a series isn't truly over until both teams have had a home game. Yep. You know, and that's, you know, it can be put a lot of different ways, but the thought behind what you're saying, I have to completely agree with, especially what we've been seeing lately. You know, if you can steal the game at home, that's great. But I mean, on the road, excuse me. But at the end of the day, if you can win all the games in your building and you have three, four opportunities to win one game in the other person's building, there's a good opportunity that you're going to win the series, even if you're not the home team when it's a seven game series, especially with momentum. You know, but at the same time, Phoenix crumbled. Right. Chris Paul, Mm -hmm. I I know I said earlier point fraud, but kind of jokingly, he's really what I thought he was. Really, honestly, I like I like the head that kind of jokingly. Yes, he's kind of what I thought he was. He's really what I thought he was. He's not great, but he's not garbage. He's a better than average point guard. You know, he's been in the league 16 years, so he's not a young guy, but he's a better than average point guard. He's going to make a team better. But when you depend on him to be your second scorer. That's still going to be tough when you have a guy like Holiday who is a hound on defense that was picking him up half court, full court, quarter court. A lot of the games after the first two, they took away some of the things that Phoenix likes to do. Oh. They didn't switch like Phoenix running on the on the pick and rolls. And then when they did switch, they started putting Portis in, who's a little bit more athletic and can move a little bit more than Lopez can at this part in this stage of his career. So, you know, this is something I have to say that uh <laughs> it's a little tough to say, but I have to say it. So I was wrong about Mike Budenholz. I've gave him crap all year. Right. Media's gave him crap all year. Everybody's giving him crap all year. But he made the proper adjustments in that series and won that series for his team. And for that, he deserves props. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about it after game four. You know, me and you had had a conversation and we're like, how do you get out coached? Because game four, he clearly was the better coach in that particular game. Mm-hmm. And both both of us had that thought of how do you get out coached by Mike Budaholzer? Like, come on, man. How do, you, <laughs> how do you let that happen to you? But then the same thing happened in the next two games. So when it happens once, that's that's just a coincidence. When it yeah. happens twice, that's a pattern. When it, when it happens three times, you got to give the man his props. So I, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. We, we were both very critical of him. <laughs> we, we called him the, uh, the weakest coach in the playoffs. And that may still have been true overall. But when he needed to step up his uh, coaching game, he did. And, and you got to give him props for that. Yep, I have to honestly <laughs> say the words that I used was the worst coach in the playoffs. And um, yes, know. I was talking about you when I said that. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I just got to <laughs> got to accept that, you know, I may have been a little uh, a little off base with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't quite as harsh as you, but, you know, yeah, I, was, I was very harsh. I was, on, you know, on I wasn't I wasn't far behind, but I just. You know. Yeah. So, you know, hey, when you're wrong, you own up to it. You know, this is not one of those three or four letter networks. These are guys that actually <laughs> care about sports. So, you know. Sometimes you get in your passion, you know, you get a little worked up and, you know, you kind of say some things that, you know, maybe a little, uh, a little bit much, but Hey, you know, it's what we do, you know, that's the only tool when you do it. I will say this though, in, in, in our defense, it's very much like what I said with the Clippers this year, you know, where <laughs> when, when they came out and they actually proved that they weren't soft anymore, 
I willingly came out and said, okay, they proved to me they're not soft anymore. Yeah. But up until the point they proved it, they were still soft. Oh, yeah, you wasn't and, giving and, them nothing. And, and until and until Mike Budenholzer proved that he could coach in a big situation <laughs> and make the adjustments he needed to make, he was garbage. <laughs> now, a couple of things. Uh, so I watched, you know, the interviews from the Phoenix players as well as the Bucks players after the game and the coaches' interviews and everything. And I want to give a lot of props to Monty Williams, right? Um, Monty Williams said all the right things. I mean, I've never seen this before. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you've seen this before. So for those of you that may not have watched, you know, the celebration stuff and the locker room stuff, Monty Williams actually went to the Bucks locker room and congratulated him after the game. You know, and that's so much class that I don't think a lot of people understand how classy it is to lose in the finals, right? Go to the opponent's locker room, put your arm around the best player on the other team that just whooped your team's tail and put up one of the best, will tie for the best closeout game performance with 50 points. What was it? 13 rebounds. I think five blocks, you know, a couple steals, like a, a, a really nice line to go hug this man, tell him congratulations. He deserved to be the MVP. Congratulate the team. Congratulate the coach. Congratulate the organization. That's a level of class that a lot of people don't have, you know? So if there is one person, on, in that locker room that I felt bad for, it was Monty Williams. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of those players, they still have opportunity. Now, another person on the on the um, Suns that I want to give a lot of props to, actually, is Chris Paul. So, five to ten minutes after he lost, right, he's still processing the fact that he lost. He's still getting that through his mind, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just like the Bucks were getting it through their mind that they won. Yeah. They were asking this man, what are you going to do next year? All these questions, he's like, you know, I'm still like really focusing on processing what's happened. The fact that we lost the game, we lost the series after being up 2-0, I'm still kind of processing that. So everything else I'm not worried about. They still kept asking them questions. The first four or five questions I saw were related to those things. And finally, somebody asked him something that was relevant to the current situation. So he handled it really well. And I also want to shout out Devin Booker because he had he did an interview with Chris Paul. And they were asking him a lot of questions. And some of them were not questions that I don't feel you should ask someone right after a loss like that of a series. And what he did was he was just saying, you know, next question, please. And not give like a snarky answer or get an attitude. And that's difficult for young players to do. Right. That's difficult for people to do in regular life. So I want to I wanted to give them shout outs for that. You know, a lot of the other guys on the Suns as well that I saw snippets of interviews for. They were all really positive. They were all like, you know, they beat us. You know, we didn't come and play like we should have the entire series, and that's why we lost. So I can appreciate the fact that it's not, you know, a lot of like nitpicking and this is what happened or that or this. We're just saying, hey, they came out there. They outplayed us and they won. Props to them. We're going to roll with that. And I think that does come from Monty Williams. And, you know, that's classy, and hopefully they um, will continue to do that. So, um, Eric, um, and shout out to uh, Big E, one of our uh, loyal listeners. He was saying that they don't allow the loss to marinate. I definitely yeah. agree with that. You give the people time before you start talking about things outside of the actual game. If you want to ask them, how did it feel the last few minutes of the game when you realized you were going to lose? I can understand that. When you ask the man about free agency and about this other stuff, it's like, come on, dude. We know what we're here for. Yeah. And then um, 
So a big comment, and I want to get your I want to get your thoughts on this. <clears throat> so Giannis said, and this is paraphrasing, that you know he wanted to stay in Milwaukee and do it. He didn't want to be on a super team and do it. He wanted to do it with the organization that drafted him. Yeah. Right. So do you feel like one that was a shot at like LeBron, KD, those guys? And two, do you feel like that he was on a super team? Because I've seen a lot of conversations around this. So I wanted to get your thoughts on air where everybody could hear it. So a couple of things on this. So number one is, was he on a super team? I mean, yes and no, because it wasn't maybe as high caliber of a super team as what we've come to expect, right? It wasn't like what you have in Brooklyn or what you have in LA, but make no mistake about it. You went out and got several players in free agency who were very big parts of that win. So by definition, you kind of were a part of a super team. Now, I give him props for the fact that he didn't go out and recruit some of the other best players in the league. He didn't conspire with a bunch of people to try to get them to Milwaukee. They went out and they got guys who made the team better, either through free agency or through trades, right? And that's really what any organization should be doing. So I don't criticize that whatsoever. It's not like when LeBron went and teamed up with Wade and Bosch in Miami, where they basically conspired to do that. But at the same time, I'm going to tell you, I don't necessarily feel like the shot was at LeBron or even KD. I was actually looking at something earlier that was kind of going into the history of the beef between Giannis and James Harden. And that's who I actually think the uh, shot was taken at was James Harden. I think it was directly pointed 100% at James Harden. So, yeah, that's what my thoughts are. But, yeah, I would say that he was kind of a part of a super team, but not to the same extent. It was more like a, a big three than it was like a super team, if that, if that makes sense. It does. Um, I'm going to say, no, he wasn't part of a super team. And I'm going to give you the reasons why. <clears throat> We've spent years as, you know, people talking about sports, doing what? Dissing Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton's not even a Robin. You know, there's no way he's a you know a leader of a team. He can't win with Chris Middleton and Chris Middleton this. And Chris Middleton's the reason this happens. Chris Middleton's the reason that happened. So unless unless the people who've been saying this, and there's a lot of people, I'm not saying that you're one of those people, but it's been a large group of people. So if that's what you're saying, then essentially you can't then turn around and say that he's part of a big three or that makes the same type of team, you know, a super team. Um, Drew Holiday. I think he brings a lot defensively. He's a piece that came in um, through trade. Yeah. But he doesn't score and dominate the ball enough in the game as far as offensively for me to say that he's a second or a third option on a consistent basis. So when I look at this team, are they better than some teams? Yeah, because they have, you know, a Chris Middleton who's, you know, been an all-star a couple of times. Um, I think between him and Drew Holiday, they have four all-star appearances in, in their whole entire career. Yeah. So if we're talking the next two best players on the team having four all-star appearances between the two, I'm not going to say they're a super team. What I'm going to say is they're a very good team. They're a better than average team. They're not a team that came out of nowhere and no one expected them to do anything and won. People yeah. just expected them, honestly, to lose to the to the Nets. You know, and I can make the argument, not going to take the time to, that even if they had all three of their guys, they still could have beat them. And they could have. 
because one of the things about it is one of those guys, James Harden does not play a lot of defense. One of those guys in Kyrie Irving, he is a guy that is not too difficult to get under his skin and get him to not play as smartly as you'd like him to. Mm-hmm. So with those things available and in veterans on the uh, Bucks team, then that's, it's really hard for me to sit here and believe that they couldn't have beat them. But they'll always have that they didn't beat them, you know, with all three of those guys. But it is what it is. You know, if that's how we're going to judge, we can go back to several different championships in all sports and, you know, say that. So I think we just have to celebrate who the champion is. It's similar to last year uh, with the whole bubble situation. A lot of people were saying, like, oh, it's a bubble. So bubble championship. But at the end of the day, everybody had the same opportunity that was there. So you have to you have to respect whoever wins, whether you like it or not. Don't try to change the narrative because you don't like the team that won or you wish someone else would have won. You know, um, also real quick. I know we spent a lot of time on the NBA tonight, but we'll be done with it after tonight. Pretty much. They've already released the rankings for next year, the power rankings. And of course, we know who's number one. The Brooklyn Nets. I'm not shocked by that. Yep. And number two, of course, is uh, the New Champs. And then after them, if I remember correctly, it's the Lakers. And then, you know, for safe, for truth, on down. Um, but basically, man, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that even though they did not win the championship, they're number one in the power rankings. I understand why, because you have the big three. But what I find very funny about them and a lot of teams that have a lot of salary caught up in. X amount of players, it's hard to fill those other spots, right? Because yeah. who else is coming? Because you're on a team where you have three guys who dominate the ball in the game. And you also have to think about it this way. If you go back to the Celtics big three, which is what most people would say would be the first of this new kind of generation of big threes. Garnett was yeah. an inside player. Mm-hmm. Pierce was an in-betweener. And then Ray Allen was the shooter. So you yeah. only had one guy that was a true, like, you go to Miami's big three. All three of those guys pretty much hit the, and that's, they don't, you know, all three of them were basically paint players. But what happened was Chris Bosch decided to step out and start making threes because he could do that because he knew the main need to open up for the other two guys. You know, so they needed to put shooting around them because they had to be able to score from the outside. You go to Golden State. Golden State's big three was more similar to the next victory in that it was three guys that primarily were shooters and scorers, mostly from the outside, with one having the ability to really get to the hole when he wanted to in Kevin Durant, right? So you kind of have that. And you look at this big three in Brooklyn with Kevin Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, you've got two ball handlers, third guy that can handle the ball really well. They're all three shooters. So what you really would need to add to that is guys that play in the post, guys that do the dirty work, guys that do those things. So there's not a lot of guys that are going to want to be added to that and handle that, right? So yeah. you got to think about bringing in other pieces and how you can do that. Like LA, for instance, this is your team. I know you're a little talk about it, but in this argument or this discussion, I should say, think about it this way. You're the Lakers. You got LeBron. You got AD. Mm-hmm. AD's a guy you want in the post. Zone. AD's a guy right. you want working in the post and doing things in the post, right? right. You want LeBron to kind of facilitate. He can make some shots when he's hot, but he's not making it all the time. You can add more pieces to that because you've got one guy that's mostly inside, one guy that's a little more versatile, but neither one of those guys are high percentage three-point shooters. Right. Right. Davis can step out and make some, but he's not a high percentage guy. Right. 
So what you're essentially doing right now is you're saying, okay, I can add pieces to that. But when you look at that Brooklyn situation, what's needed to be added, you're going to have to have a specific type of player that's okay with playing those specific roles to go to Brooklyn. And they may not be appealing to some of the higher-end free agents, even if they're like a middle-tier player, they may not want to go be part of that situation. Yeah, I mean, I would even argue, like you used L.A. as an example, even there you still are really trying to bring in a specific type of player because you really need guys who can get a shot off without having the ball in their hands a lot. And we've had this conversation specifically about a guy who's on the roster, Kyle Kuzma. That both of us have agreed that if he were to go somewhere else, he might actually be able to go up another level and shine because at the end of the day, Kyle Kuzma is a guy who, without a ball in his hand, he's not consistent enough to really be a playmaker. So I see uh, I see we've lost Cool. He'll be back in just a second. I think he's having some uh, technical difficulties with his microphone. So uh, we'll give him a second to get back. Let me add him back in. <clears throat> there you are. But yeah, so I, w- I was just talking about, you know, Kyle Kuzma being a guy who who could go to the next level, given the opportunity to handle the ball more. But what you really need in L.A. is a guy who can get his shots off without having to have the ball in his hands. And right. that's why Kyle Kuzma has struggled to go to that next level in L.A. So anytime you put multiple superstars onto a roster, you're going to have to find guys who can fit around them mm-hmm. and are willing to accept a lesser role, which is a difficult thing to do sometimes. Especially when you start talking about certain positions, because guess what? Everybody in the league wants to attract shooters. Everybody in the league wants to attract, you know, wings who can defend. These are guys who, guess what? They don't grow on trees, but everybody in the league wants three or four of them. So you're having to go out there and compete for those guys. So it comes down to, is this guy a ring chaser? Or is he a guy who wants to grow? And if it's a young guy... A lot of times they're not ready to go chase rings yet. So yeah, they're not ready. a lot of times when you get these superstar teams, they're having to depend on older players who might give you a lot offensively, but they usually are a little bit more reliability on the defensive end. Yep. And, you know, just <clears throat> one of the things that I did like about a lot of the different players in the books, Giannis going down, everyone talked about roles. Everyone talked about how they know they had a defined role. Like they, they did an interview with Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis, Jr. So Portis and Connaughton were talking about how they come in, they bring offense sometimes. Some games that's not needed, a game like, for instance, the closeout game, Giannis was, you know, on pretty good, scoring a lot of points. So, you know, Connaughton had like six or seven rebounds, you know, different things. So they were talking about how they understood their roles and how they talked amongst themselves about do your role the very best that you can do. And that's something that I think, it's difficult because a lot of these guys come into the league. They've been the man in high school, middle school, college. Then you get to the pros and you're playing against much better talent. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like a reverse pyramid. You start out with more and you just keep coming down and coming down and coming down and coming down. So those guys were able to say, you know what? We have been the best at what we did at some level. But right now to win, to be successful in the pros, this is the role we need to play. So yeah. that takes time. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. That's not something that younger guys are going to be able to do right away. That takes time. You know, sometimes you go out and a, a good example that I always think about is Kenny Smith. 
Yeah. So Kenny talked about, I think, when he was with the, the Kings, and they kind of tried to put a team around him and make him the guy, and the team stunk. And that's when he realized, you know, I'm never going to be a number one option, right? Yeah. So he went, and he was a great role player, won championships with Houston as a role player. So yeah. sometimes understanding what's best for you, not what you have been, but what's best for you in the current situation and being able to adapt to that is the best. So, you know, I think that's something that's very important on championship teams. And that's one of the things that some of the teams that didn't make the playoffs that made last year or some of the teams that didn't go as far, they didn't have that same that same nucleus, that same group. Yeah. Um, so I look forward to next season and I say, you know, for the, the Suns, the Bucks and all the other teams, get the right pieces, keep the right pieces, and try to make your team stronger. I expect a team like Atlanta to be better next year. I expect a team like mm-hmm. Golden State to be better next year. You know, I expect my Nuggets to be better next year. If Jamal Murray can come back healthy, and we can add some more pieces in free agency. So, you know, everyone just worked to be better because I'm really happy with the NBA product this year. You know, mm-hmm. there's some hiccups. Um, there are some times where things weren't as great as they could be. But overall, I can honestly sit here and tell you and everybody watching, I was very pleased with the NBA season, and I honestly did enjoy having games every night. So I hope it's something they can keep going where you have games more nights than not. Maybe just not as many people playing, but having games because, man, that was great. Yeah. So one thing I I do want to talk about real quick before we change over and finish up the uh, NBA talk here completely is this conversation that's going on right now, more of a debate is going on where – On one hand, you have the media, right, who always wants to put together the list and they want to compare people and they want to rank stuff and they want to do those things because they get clicks and and their headlines, right? So Mm -hmm. the talk in the media right now is like, oh, Giannis is already a top 20 or 30 player of all time, right? He's won, you know, already a couple MVPs and he's won a championship and a defensive player of the year. And him and Michael Jordan are like the only two people to actually do that and they're trying to put him in this rarefied air already. And we're seeing a lot of former players that are coming out going, yo, slow down, right? Giannis is like still young. Yes, he has a ring. He's a great player. He's a, a fun player to watch. But let's actually let him play out his career before we start trying to put him in the top 20, 30 ever conversation, right? So w- where do you fall on that? Are you like, no, you know what? Let's, uh, let's be a prisoner in the moment. Let's look at what he's doing and be super excited about it? Or are you like, you know, I agree. He's, he's great, but let's chill a little bit. So um, I simply fall here on it. How can we tell the story of a person's career while they're still in the peak of that career? Yeah. If you came to me when LeBron James was 26, 27, and said LeBron James is the GOAT or even in the GOAT conversation, I would have laughed at you and walked away. Right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, yeah, what Giannis is doing is amazing. He's 26. He's been in the league eight years straight out of high school, right, or mm-hmm. 18. Um, so what we have to do is say, in my mind, well, what I would say, I'll, I'll put it that way. What I would say is this. As for what he's doing now, he is on track to be an all-time great player. Yeah. But he still has to complete things. You don't skip from 26 <laughs> to Canton. Right. <clears throat> you don't skip from 26 to the best player in the league, right? You can be in that conversation. You know, if you want to say he's the best player in the league right now, um, you know, whatever. There's a few people that would probably argue that. Number one would be that uh, guy in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant. Yeah. Uh, I don't think LeBron really cares anymore because LeBron's like, I'm old now, you know. Yeah. Somebody else could be the best player or whatever. Um, 
But I think that, you know, let's just let it play out first. Let's just say that, hey, he's on the path to go in that direction. He's on the path to be a top five, 10 player all time, maybe top 10 player all time. But he's not there yet. Right. He's simply not there yet. One championship doesn't put you in rarefied air. Now, if he goes on and gets two or three more MVPs, never gets to another finals, and he's 1-0 in the finals, then, hey, yeah, you know, you probably still put him, you don't hold that against him. If he can still get the other individual accolades that he had a team that's continuing to get to the playoffs and play deep. That's great. But, yeah, it's way too early. Yeah, so uh, Eric says, you know, it's way too early. That early image can mess these players up, especially with their confidence when they have bad games. You know, it, it starts putting pressure. It, some people put pressure on. Some people, it gives them a an overinflated ego. Now, from what I've seen to Giannis, I don't think he's going to be the kind of person who is going to necessarily overinflate his ego. But you never know. I mean, we've seen stranger things happen. Is he a guy who, if he has a couple of bad years, or let's say next year Milwaukee doesn't come out as strong, Maybe Brooklyn comes out and looks like this, you know, dynamo, and they just destroy Milwaukee in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden people start talking about, oh, you know, their championship was a fluke. They would have never won had Brooklyn been healthy. If that kind of thing happens, now how does that impact Giannis after hearing all this praise all year? Because you know how the media is. They'll turn on him next year. All of a sudden they'll go from saying you're a top 20 player of all time to saying that you're overrated and, and that your championship was a fluke. Yeah, and he, he's well aware of that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. You know, hearing him talk in his interview, he has a very he's very he, he has a very high level of awareness. He understands that right now they're going to say, you know, oh, Giannis is this, Giannis is that. But he remembers how they talked bad about him for missing free throws, you know, those things. He remembers those things. He actually brought him up jokingly, but not yeah. jokingly, during his uh, press conference. So, yeah, I think he's level-headed, but you do, you do bring up a great point. We don't know if that shift to attacking him consistently could affect him on the floor if that were to happen. You know, and we don't really know that about any player, right? It's very few right. players that can deal with that, handle that, and still be able, you know, to kind of do their thing. So right. I do think it's too early to crown him. You know, I do I do kind of agree with what Eric's saying as well. We don't need to even get into that right now. Let's let him play. Let's see what he does in the next four to five years of his career. Then we can start talking about if he's an all-time great, right? Yes. He's on the path to that. But one championship, a couple of MVPs, you know, a finals MVP, those are great accolades. But let's see what the rest of his career brings first. Let's pump the brakes, people. Just pump the brakes and let the man have a career. So and look, and, and look, if you want to make an easy comparison to what this can do to someone, and this isn't necessarily that it affects you on the court, but it does affect you in other ways. Part of why LeBron ran off and joined a super team was because of the criticisms that he was getting, not necessarily from the media, but from a lot of fans. King and James. why was LeBron getting those uh, criticisms? Because everybody jumped on the comparisons to Jordan. Mm -hmm. People were trying to put LeBron in a GOAT conversation before he even went to Miami, before he yep. even had won a ring yet. And of course, that pissed Jordan fans off. So... Now you got all of these Jordan fans that are constantly talking bad about you and saying all this other stuff. And LeBron might, you know, deny it. But we all know that you went to Miami to specifically go chase a ring so you could get that blemish off of you. So that way you could say you had a ring. So 
no doubt in my mind that all that talk around him had an impact on him. So, you know, let these guys go out and play, man. Just just enjoy it. Stop exactly. trying to rank everybody. <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah, just let people enjoy, you know what I'm saying, being themselves, uh, playing the game. Let's just watch the greatness happens as it happens. We don't have to, every time somebody does something, now they're the greatest player of all time. You know, like I said, if you want to say it's kind of like a passing of the torch that we feel like Giannis has taken over as, you know, the best player in the current NBA, that's fine, right? Because it's at that point. A lot of the stars are older. Durant, you know, all those guys, James, a lot of those guys are getting older, getting advanced in their careers. They're not going to be at their peak forever. So I'm fine with that. But let's not go into all-time stuff. Let's just pump our brakes a little bit. Let's let it happen, and let's see what happens. It's just that simple. At this at this point in his career, LeBron's like um those people when they run marathons, how they uh how they actually group you by your age class. LeBron's mm-hmm. the uh, best player in his age class. That's that's <laughs> well, that's definitely undisputed. <laughs> I think I think it's just like him and Chris Paul at this point. So I think I think it's really just to sign which one of them is better. So yeah, I mean Chris Paul, man, he'll have other chances. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of rumors going around. We'll talk about some of that once we get some. Some more finalized information, right? We don't have to sit around and just run from rumor to rumor to rumor. We ain't got time for that. Oh no, no. I mean, look, we could sit here and spend the next twenty-three minutes just talking about all the rumors for the seventeen billion people that's going to get traded to the Lakers. So, right until we know something more solid about any of this stuff, there's no point in talking about it. Yeah, it's not really a wise decision. So, one thing I do want to talk about, though, is a story that might be breaking by this time next week. We might have a lot more clarity around, but I'm curious what your initial thoughts are that Oklahoma and Texas have both been in talks with the SEC. And the rumor is sometime within the next 24 to 48 hours may actually see them put a declaration into the big 12 that they plan to leave. Well, I think it's something that's great for those two schools. Let's be honest. If you're Texas, if you're Oklahoma and you can get in the SEC, that's going to boost your opportunities to play in championship games. You're probably going to get a good revenue stream. There's a lot of things you're going to get off of that. But you're going to destroy the Big 12. So the first thought I had when I heard this, and I'm going to be honest, ACC fan, just being honest. Hmm. I wonder if Baylor would come to the ACC and we can get Notre Dame will finally sign up. That would really make us look pretty good compared to what's happening with the SEC. Honestly, that was my thoughts. Like, I don't have a problem with teams switching conferences, right? That's how Miami got into, you know, the ACC. Right. No problem at all with that. But I think if you do go somewhere, go somewhere where it benefits you. It's benefited the Hurricanes to be in ACC. So, hey, no problem with that. Um, It would benefit Texas and Oklahoma, but I can tell you a couple of teams that may not be happy with that. Texas A&M may not be happy at all if Texas comes in, you know? Yeah. And, you know, some of those other SEC teams may not be happy with Oklahoma because, you know, rivalries. And I was listening to um, local sports radio talking about this. And one of the things I thought about was, so what if, like, Florida State of Miami was trying to go to the SEC, right? What if uh, Georgia Tech was trying to go to the SEC, Right. And not saying I want those teams to leave, but I'm just thinking about teams that would have natural rivals already in the SEC. Yeah. Would Florida want that? Would Georgia want that? Would Texas A&M want that? I'm pretty sure the answer would be no. 
Yeah. So if I'm if I'm those schools, I'm kind of like, look, you know, this is a weak weak deal. But look, any of these teams that would be like a natural rival for us want to come into the SEC, we're gonna agree, wink wink, to vote no to keep them out. Yeah. Right. So I think <clears throat> we're gonna have to see how this plays out because there's a lot of different angles like money, you know, travel where they would go if one would go to one side of the SCC, one go to the other, how that's going to affect, that would be the first 16-team conference, how that's going to affect the Pac-12, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, you know, ACC. You're going to then have to scramble to try to keep up, right? Because if they do it, other teams have to do it. So I think um, it's very important. This could be a milestone, actually, because this could get closer to some of the things that a lot of us want, which is more teams in the playoffs. Yeah. Because if you're going to have all these teams go to the SEC, it's like, you know, if you're going to get three, four teams out of the SEC every year, then you can't do four teams. You're going to have to right. go to eight, you know, maybe 12. So maybe this can facilitate some of the other things that we want. But we've been hearing for years that they want to do super conferences. So I'm not surprised that this is happening. And, you know, good for them if that's a move they want to make. But, you know, if you're really wanting to leave, you could also talk to the ACC, mm-hmm. you know. So supposedly the the conversation with the SEC has been going on for a while. The ACC did apparently reach out to them. So the one thing I find really interesting about this, and they were actually talking about this on the local sports talk here, was Texas and Oklahoma both have these TV contracts within the Big 12. If they were to leave this year, they have to pay, I think it's like $80 million dollars. Because they could lose that TV deal. So they had to pay like $80 million. Or they have to stay until like 2024, 2025 when the TV deal is over in order to not have to pay the $80 million. Now, how weird would that be to sit there and tell the Big 12, hey, we're going to leave. We're going to completely destroy the conference. <laughs> Screw you guys. And then you stick around for three years. You know what I'm saying? In 2025, like, right. <laughs> right. So it's like the the analogy that the, uh, the the guy here on radio used was, that's like getting divorced and they're still living in your house. You know, it's like, that's just, like, you don't do that, man. If like, if you're going to say it's over, then just move on with your life. So I'm curious to see how this goes out. I'm really especially curious for the fact that they say this might go down the next, like, two days. So yeah, by the time we come ahead next week, we'll be able to talk about some of the ramifications of it. Maybe by then they'll have, if it, they do announce it, they'll talk about what the divisions are going to look like. Cause that's another thing. It might cause some shakeups in terms of teams that you normally would play. Right. The way that the SEC does their, their schedule, there's possibility that could cause Florida state and Florida to not be able to play each other anymore. So you have a lot of moving pieces there that could fall out of this. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it would be. I mean, you know, but I, I still say, you know, at the end of the day, still good for them because, you know, you're going to where it's more lucrative for you and you got to do what you got to do. You got to look oh, at I mean, the I team. I had no issue with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If they want to do it. And they have the, I would say that they have the uh, the boosters for those two um, teams that if they want to go ahead and go to SEC and pay that money, that money would be there and it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I think. I don't know what the exact numbers are. I would need to look up the numbers to see what do they make on average in the Big 12 versus what could they possibly make as part of the SEC. But I'm going to assume that it wouldn't take them very long to make up the 80 million. And I'm pretty confident they'd be able to get new TV deals. So, yeah, 
pretty much. So, I, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Now, um, you know, funny comment, not something to spend a lot of time on, but just wanted to mention it. Tyler Hero came out and said that uh, LeBron James is the best Miami Heat player of all time. All I'm going to say to Tyler Hero is that's Dwayne Wade, sir. Negative. When when you when you sent me that earlier, I was like, I'm just gonna wait and see what he says because I know that, that D Wade is your boy, that you're a huge D Wade fan. So I, I was just waiting to see what what your response to that was gonna be. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like just because I like Dwayne Wade when he was a player, he was my favorite player was a player. Look at what he did for that team, for that organization. The fact that he was there more than four years, you know, actually won a championship outside of being part of that big three. You know, it was basically the face of uh, that organization for his entire tenure there. <laughs> He's the best player of all time. Come on, Tyler Hero. What are you doing? Yeah. I mean, this this goes back to the, you know, whole mentality of living in the moment kind of thing, right? Yeah. We're, especially with these younger guys that mm-hmm. maybe they didn't see some of this stuff. It's like when I see people talk about, oh, you know, LeBron is, you know, the greatest Laker. I'm like, LeBron's not even the greatest Laker of the last 20 years. <laughs> he's definitely like not two. the greatest like i mean there, there there's like many many guys just off the top of my head i can easily sit there and say magic kobe wilt kareem or not wilt but uh kareem those guys Shaq, all those guys are, are better than lebron and yeah, because if he's you, in la well yeah because if you're gonna quantify that it's got to be what he did with that team <laughs> Yeah. So you can't you can't take what he did with Cleveland, what he did with LA and Miami, put it all together. You know, you have to take that particular piece. And that's why um I was part of a discussion where we we're talking about like greatest players in Bucks history. And this was like the day after a couple of days after the championship uh win, I think a day or two after. And um they were saying like, oh Kareem, and I'm like, Well, we can't really count Kareem because we count him as a Laker great. He did win a championship there, but you can't really I don't I don't see the logic of counting someone for multiple teams, right? Yeah, you play on multiple teams sometimes, but where you had your greatest success is where I would look at you at. And by far for Kareem, that was with the Lakers. So in that particular piece, I would say you didn't remove him from the conversation with the Bucks because how can you be a Bucks great and a Lakers great? Yeah. I mean, to me, the only way you can do that is if you have multiple championships with multiple teams. So Going over to the NFL, you know, Charles Haley is a guy who comes to mind. He won multiple championships in San Francisco. He won multiple championships in Dallas. He won enough, because I, I want to say it's like three, three and three that he won there. So that's enough that you can actually justify saying he's a, an all-time great for both of those teams. Those type of instances are extremely rare. You don't see that very often. Agreed. So sticking with the NFL, a memo went out the other day from the NFL saying that if you were unvaccinated and you got a positive test that and it caused you and it, you know caused infections on your team and your team was going to have to move a game because of that they weren't going to move it they're going to basically forfeit your game and so a lot of people of course are now taking this as this is the nfl trying to force people to get vaccinated 
which a lot of people have an issue with because they don't feel like the NFL should be able to force people to get vaccinated. You got DeAndre Hopkins running around, Tamah, he might retire. Uh, just today I saw that the Vikings offensive line coach decided he wanted to retire because he didn't want to get the vaccine. So what what are your overall thoughts? Just first of all, on the NFL handing this down, let's not even touch the the legality or the ethic, uh, ethical part of this just yet. What do you just think about them handing this down? I think it's ridiculous. Um, and the part of it that upsets me the most is that you're basically saying if the Eagles and the 49ers are playing and the Eagles have players test positive and we can't reschedule the game, neither one of your teams gets paid. So you're basically saying you get punished because we're scheduling you to play X team and they have something going on with COVID. Nobody gets paid. So that's my first problem with it. Um, my second problem is you're basically taking the option out of their hands. And like you said, you're forcing their hands. Um, I don't think it's fair to force every single person. And with the way you acquiesced and were able to seamlessly move the schedule last year, I find it a joke that now all of a sudden, oh, we can't do anything for you. You know, if we can't reschedule it, you're just not going to get paid. So I have problems with that because you showed us last year that you can make it work. You showed us that. Now you want to go back and you want to completely change what you did because you want people to take a vaccine. That's essentially what this is saying to me. And I think that's a little laughable. And that's a reason why I'm disappointed in the, um, the upper levels of management and the commissioner for the NFL. I don't feel like they really have a touch or a pulse on what's really happening in the world as far as their players and what's going on. We have people in different situations. You may have people that may have pre-existing conditions in their family history, and that's why they're not going to take a vaccine. They may, for religious beliefs, they may not want to take it. And it could be multiple reasons why. And to all of a sudden do this, man, that's just, that's just Bush lead to me. Yeah. So my thoughts are on one hand, I don't necessarily have an issue with the NFL coming out and saying like, look, we're not going to do what we did last year. We're not going to move all these games around. Because it is something that I do feel like hurt the game. You know, having all these games get rescheduled and move around. So I was never a fan of that last year. So I don't really have an issue with them coming out and saying that in particular. But at the same time, I do feel like when we start getting into that gray area of, is this trying to force people to get vaccinated? That's where, you know, I start to kind of maybe have a bit of an issue with it. And I, I will just tell people I'm fully vaccinated, so I have no issue against the vaccine. I'm not one of these people just like, oh, you know, the vaccine is evil or anything like that. But I think that people should have an individual right to choose what they want to do with that. Now, it's a catch-22 because what we are talking about here is a public health issue. So... We also have to respect people's privacy on whether they want to disclose that they've been vaccinated or not, right? So if I'm in a locker room with somebody, I feel like I should be able to know whether that person is vaccinated. I should be able to know whether they're putting me at an increased risk. But I can't ask that person unless, I mean, I can ask, but they don't have to tell me and I can't force him to tell me. So 
part of what you're also kind of doing here is you're forcing people to declare whether they're vaccinated or not, whether they want to share their information or not, because how are you going to know if someone does test positive that that person is unvaccinated? The only way you're going to know is if you divulge their private medical information to other people. So to me, there's a lot of issues that come up with this. One thing is, and I find this kind of funny because a lot of the same people I see, they have a really big problem with this right now. And I'm not necessarily saying I completely disagree with some of this, but the same people who now think that the NFL has absolutely no right to try to do this are the exact same people that had no problem saying the NFL was fully within their rights to blackball Colin Kaepernick. So it's funny how you don't think the NFL should be able to enforce certain beliefs or certain things in one situation, but at the same time, you feel like they should have complete authority to enforce a belief in another situation. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot you could say about it, but it essentially, for me, it really boils down to one thing. And we have a comment. I'll let you read that first, and then I'll, you know, say my last name about that. Yeah, so so Dan Gilbert says that if he hears one more football player says against their rights as an American, it's a job. They say you have to put your leg in and then take it out and put it in again and shake it all about. Okay, I'm not sure what that's, what that's all about. Um, and PA already said they were not. We're not, I guess we're not backing players. All right. So here's the thing. I'm going to quickly respond to this comment. Give you my opinion on the comment. So, um, if I work for a company and that company says that I have to be vaccinated to do that job, right? Mm -hmm. Then I have the option to say, hey, I'm going to leave or not. Right. right. But if I am a, not an employee. So this is where um, I think Dan Gilbert's response is completely and totally and utterly off. The NFL players are not employees. Right. They do not work um, on a payroll. Okay. They're essentially independent contractors. They're independent contractors. So understand that you're taking someone that you will not make an employee of your company. You won't give them a paycheck and make them a regular employee, but you want to treat them like a regular employee. So say your job, Dan Gilbert, says, hey, you know, we're no longer going to cover benefits for you. We're no longer going to give you any 401k, any pension, any of that. We're only going to give you your pay. We're not going to take taxes out or anything. So if you, you know, don't pay your taxes, oh, well, if you don't do this, oh, well, you don't do that, oh, well, that's not our problem. But we're still going to treat you just like we did when you were an employee as far as what you can and can't do and hold you to the same responsibilities. I'm going to commonly say I don't think you would be at that employer or that company any longer. So understand this is not employees not getting what they want or this is not employees being forced into something. These are independent contractors. These are people that don't necessarily work for this organization or another one. And they're being forced to do something. So that's where it comes into this is a joke to me and why I have a problem with it. Yeah. And, and here's what I will say. I look at this from a slightly different perspective than a lot of people. Because my perspective is not so much about the NFL in particular or their ability to do this. 
because I have my own personal feelings about what I think about a lot of the players who don't want to get the vaccine or don't want to take safety precautions if they choose not to get the vaccine. I have my own individual personal feelings on that. But I also am always a little apprehensive about any time that we allow a business to do certain things. Because as soon as you start giving a business or employer opportunities to do certain things and you set a precedent for that thing, it can now be rolled out to any group of people. And I think a lot of times we've talked about this in the past on the show when it came to things like racial inequality or gender inequalities where people look at a situation they go, well, that doesn't affect me. I don't care. But at some point, it will affect you. Because at some point, somebody's going to use the exact same things against you. So we have to be very careful about what we allow somebody like the NFL to do here. Because now, all of a sudden, your employer might go, hey, the NFL got away with this. So can I. Yeah. I mean, you just have you have to think about these things in a totality, not just an individual situation. Mm-hmm. But companies pay him. So he said companies do this all the time when it comes to rules. But you're forgetting the point that these are not employees of a company. These are independent contractors. An independent contractor has certain rights because they're not an employee. They don't have an employee agreement. Okay, that's the difference here. You know, employee, independent contractor are two completely different things. So if you want to if you want to basically make them employees, take out the taxes on their check, get them 401ks and pensions and all those things that an employee has, then you get into a realm of what you're saying. But until that happens, these are independent contractors that you're saying should be treated like employees. That, sir, is a no-no in business. It's a huge no-no. Yeah. You know, and um, one of the other things I wanted to quickly talk about, (sighs) USA Women's National Soccer Team, um, they lost a game to Sweden earlier this week. Uh, they hadn't lost a game in 44 games. Ironically, the last game they lost was to Sweden. Um, we don't talk a lot about other sports outside of, uh, you know, like we said earlier, outside of basketball and football mainly. But one of the things to think about in regards to this is 44 games without losing. That's a huge accomplishment, right? They lost 3-0 or 0-3. Um, but, you know, they've bounced back and won a game since then. And I think that they're going to be a favorite, prohibitive favorite, you know, to win the gold medal again. But I say that just simply to say anytime, any day, anybody can be beat in any sport, right? We yeah. saw it with people thinking Phoenix was going to, you know, win. They were, they were going to be able to be beat. A lot of people thought, including myself and I believe my co-host as well, that Kansas City wasn't going to be able to be beaten in the Super Bowl, even by Tampa Bay. There's always times where you think a team can never lose and they lose. Yeah. So, you know, Kudos to the women's national team for what they've done and that record they were on. Start a new one. Let's get busy. Yep. Because let's bring home that gold medal for women's soccer for the USA. And if if those of you did not watch the opening ceremony, if you had to work, then um, they started over at 730. So you probably would still be able to catch a little bit of it when, you know, when we're done. Um, the whole opening ceremony, and you probably can catch it online as well. I'd recommend seeing it. I saw a little bits of it and did some really nice things because, of course, there's not fans. So 
definitely if you've been watching the past and you're maybe shaky on it because of the whole situation, I say give it a watch. I think you'll enjoy it. So I do want to go ahead and respond to uh, Dan's other question that he asked in regards to the whole NFL thing about why is the uh, NFL PA not making a big deal out of this? Now, I don't know exactly why the NFL PA is not making a big deal, but I'm going to tell you what my speculation is as to why. And, and I'll be curious to see if my co-host agrees with this. I think when you look at the numbers, when you look at league-wide, because we know teams that are above a certain vaccination percentage, we know the teams that are below a certain percentage. I feel like we can safely say that the majority of players in the league have been vaccinated, just based on the numbers that we've seen. So if you are the NFL PA and you come out and you're supporting maybe let's say 25% of the league or whatever that number is of unvaccinated players in a public health situation, you're basically now going to tell the other 75%, we don't care about your health. So in this particular instance, the NFLPA has made a decision that they'd rather stand behind the 75% or whatever it is players who are vaccinated than the 25% or whatever who are not vaccinated. That's why I think they're not making a big deal out of it because they don't want to come out and make that 75% mad by saying, well, hey, you know, is this, is this group's right if they don't want to be vaccinated and we're going to stand by them. This is an easy decision for them to make and keep most of their players happy. If the situation was reversed and you had 75% of the players that said they didn't want to be vaccinated, the NFLPA would be making a big stink about this. That's just yeah. my speculation. I'd have to agree it's that. And then, of course, it's not collectively bargained, right? Um, yep. <clears throat> a lot of things that aren't collectively bargained, the, the Players Association will kind of hang back on it and just see how things shake out because, you know, these are things that obviously they'll probably take to the table and say, look, you know, we backed it. We allow you to do whatever with that because it wasn't something that was collectively bargained. We need to collectively bargain this one way or the other moving forward. So it's on the books because now we've been through this. You know, you got to think, you know, you have the, the Players Association, you know, and they try to work on these things as they happen. They've done, a, they've done, I think, a pretty good job. But this is something new. It's not in the yeah. collective bargaining agreement. So you got to kind of roll with it for now until you can make a difference with it later on. So, yeah, I don't think that's why you're not really getting anything from the NFL Players Association in regards to this. But like I said, you know, you could really hurt the product with this because they're could be some big names and say, you know what, I'm not taking the vaccine for whatever reason. And if you're saying, oh, you know, you're not going to get paid, you're playing, they say, you know what, well, I'm just not going to play. Yeah. You know, that could really hurt the quality of play in the NFL this year. So that's something else you need to think about. One other point on it, you have to realize that you can still contract COVID if you have taken the vaccine. You just may not know you have it until you get tested. Yeah. So what happens if that's the case? Yeah, and that's, that's what I was saying going back to earlier is now the only way you can do that is if you're putting out there, you're basically exposing people's medical records of saying, hey, this person's vaccinated, this person's not vaccinated. Because if someone tests positive, but they are vaccinated, then you're basically saying we're not going to we're going to still postpone that game or do whatever. You're only punishing people from what I'm understanding if they're not vaccinated, which now we get into HIPAA laws and, and all kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I'm going to be curious to see if something else moves forward with this. Right now, we're we're still pretty early in the the process, 
But I just wanted to at least get your thoughts on on where we were, because I do think that this is going to be an ongoing story. I, I don't think we've seen the final say on this. There's going to be some protests. There's going to be some different things. So we'll we'll see what shakes yeah. out of it. Yep. So before we go, I will uh, say this one final thing. If you are a Green Bay Packers fan, <laughs> sorry for you. <laughs> Hey, man, I think you're going to be losing Devontae Adams after this season, too. Um, you know, this news that broke this week about Aaron Rodgers basically getting offered and just turning it down, it really shows he does not want to be in Green Bay. Yep. And if I'm Green Bay, I'm taking what I can get, and I'm getting rid of this dude. But that doesn't seem to be their stance. Their stance seems to be he's going to come play for us because we think he is. I, I told you a month ago – that I think the Green Bay is actually stubborn enough to go retire. We're not trading you. Yeah, I mean that could be that they could be that stubborn, right? But that's not going to what that does, man. Is so many things. The main thing is to make a long story short. Why would other free agents want to come and deal with that? You know what I'm saying? Why would restricted free agents not say, you know what, let me go somewhere else and get uh, get a contract that you're not going to match and not come back here and not try to work with you and get you no discount because of the way y'all do people here. This is your second time that you screwed over a franchise quarterback like this at the end of the career. And this is why Adams broke off his contract negotiations, I think. Yes, it is. I mean, he hasn't he's talking about going to play with David Carr. Yeah. I mean, you got to think about just how that sounds. This man, this man would rather go play with David Carr. I'm just saying, come on. You know, I have a higher regard for David Carr than you do, but he's yeah. definitely not an Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So, so Gilbert, unless David Carr is going to go to the Dolphins, I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah. Why would Why would Devontae Adams want to go to the Dolphins? I mean, obviously Miami probably has money to pay him, but who's going to throw him the ball consistently? Right. Yeah, he's I mean, coming look, from Aaron Rodgers. He's going to mm-hmm. want another quarterback that knows him, which is David oh, Carr. He, oh, he he or, thinks Aaron Rodgers is going to the Dolphins. I think. Oh, he thinks Aaron Rodgers. If you're thinking Aaron Rodgers is going to the Dolphins, mm-hmm. the Dolphins have you know some things to put together, but they have to be willing to trade him first. That's the biggest thing. There are several people that he would be a better quarterback than what they have, but Green Bay has to be willing to actually trade him. Yeah. So we'll see what happens, man. But man, we are at our hour for the night. So we're going to go ahead and wrap the show up. Appreciate everybody who tuned in for tonight. If you have not already, come on over to YouTube, play collegesportstalk.com. Hit that subscribe button down there in the bottom right-hand corner. And then click that little bell next to it. That way you'll get notified every Friday night when we go live and you'll never miss an episode of The Play Callers. Oh, and one other thing, like the video and Bucks in six. The Bucks already won, sir. You can stop saying it now. (laughs) I just want people to remember Bucks in six. All those Suns in four, Suns in five fans, Bucks in six. Take that. He says, he says, Bucks and Six. I'm going to remind you that starting right now, it's play callers in seven. Seven more days, and it's Friday again. We'll see y'all back next week.
bring a frame.